We are professional. Professionals. Hey there, Shopping Maniacs. You're listening to another episode of Shop Talk Show Podcast, all about front end web design and development. I'm Dave Rupin with me is Chris Coyer. Hey, Chris, how are you doing this wonderful day? I'm doing all right. A little cold here, but feeling good. Looks like we have a little. Um, oh yeah, we got some uh, errors and omissions. We're gonna kick it off with here. Um, first off, Austin Gill, uh, who has a stream now. You should check him out over on the old uh, uh, Twitch. Twitch, or, yeah, he's over yeah. on the Twitch. Uh, but um, he was saying we talked about view props very poorly on a recent episode, and he was saying if you prop a pass a prop to that's really hard to say. Pass a prop. Pass a prop. Pass a prop up, pa- say, pass a prop to Papa John ten times fast. Pass, pass a prop to Papa John. <laughs> okay, if you pop, I can't say it. If you pass a prop to a component that and the prop is not defined, it will be treated as an HTML attribute. Mm. So, um, okay, is that the secret sauce that makes web components work? Then, because isn't that part of the deal? Is that other frameworks in the past have gobbled up props in that way, but you like, you kind of need the props to be left in place for web components. Cause that's in a way, that's how you talk to a web component. That's how you talk to a web component. And if you send like what a JavaScript object to a web component, it might just be like, Whoa, Whoa, what's all this? I don't know what these curlies are. Um, and so, uh, and he was saying it'll be treated as an HTML attribute. Uh, it's also accessible from within the component as this adder's prop. So if you think like somebody biffed it or whatever, isn't you can, I don't know, you can, you can still get it anyway. access it from this adder's dollar adders. So, uh, but yeah, I, I, you know, I was, I put together a web components course workshop for front end masters. Hey, Chris, long, they, they, uh, had sponsored the show, they sponsored your blog for a while. Uh, but they reached out for me to do a, uh, front end masters web component workshop and taking my talk, I'm spinning it into a workshop. Good idea. Uh, yeah. And so, but the big question is, you know, it's like, you can like, you can write web components and you can use your web components in Drupal and you can use your web components in your WordPress. Uh, yeah. Where it gets weird is you can start, you can actually use web components in Vue and you can use it in Svelte and Preact. Mm-hmm. But where you can't use it is React. And like React's such a big competitor in the space or a, a big framework in the space. I have to kind of address like why that is. So I'm really trying to figure out why, why it doesn't work. And there's a really good issue from Rob Dodson. Um, where he mm-hmm. like lays out the alt the paths, you know, like like this is a breaking change, this is not a breaking change, but the syntax is kind of bad. Like, um, but uh, I so I'm really trying to figure out, and it deals with this how the React like just eats every, treats everything as a prop, and web components need attributes. I guess is sort of the thing, right? Yeah, there's that, but I'm also con- like web components have lifecycle methods, don't they? They at least have a constructor and they have a like unmounted or something connected like that. Callback, right? which means it's connected, connected callback. To, the, to the DOM, and then they have an attribute change callback, which you'd use, you know, and that has it's almost like set state or something, or like or component prop did update. Is that a thing? That's not a thing in React, but that's basically what it is, you know, like a some sure, sort a of little property mutation update. watcher. A mutation thing. happened, yeah. Yeah, okay. What gets me about the is the ones that like the mounted ones or the unconnected ones, these libraries like React make no promises about when they're going to re-render something. They might rip it out of the DOM and throw it back because they need to because that's how their framework works or because you changed a prop and that's a promise they made 10 years ago is that they would re-render it. Mm-hmm. So, like, what then? Does your, do you need to code your web component that says, like, oh, actually, this is not the first time I'm appearing on this page. It's the second time. Oh, because yeah. my Big Daddy framework has re-rendered me. Yeah, I don't know how that works. Like, like when you, like, you're... It could yeah. fetch data. Now it's <laughs> fetching data twice. Whoops. The, the unique advantage, maybe, of web components is the template fragments, you know? Like... Like you at some point create a DOM template, they call them a content fragment. So that piece of template is already parsed, it's already in the DOM. And 
So it should render fine. Like it shouldn't be super intensive to re-render. Uh, but you're right. There's sort of this like, yeah. What if what if my React component ten levels up co- triggers a relay out, and then does my web component refetch data and all that stuff? I don't. That's a good question. It's it, and that's all it is. It's a question because I don't know that. I mean, maybe there's a line of code in the React code base that says, oh, this element has a dash in it. So I'm actually going to do, I'm going to memoize it or whatever they do to not do that. Maybe that's the case. I actually don't know what the answer is. And I do know that the very latest beta non-stable React has said We're web component to, support. Yeah, so there's please an test experimental it. branch that you can test web components. So, um, cool. Yeah, I, I need to like get my hands dirty and figure that out. I really, I'm just kind of at the level of like I'm trying to figure out like what's actually the problem, <laughs> like what what's the problem, and then how do I replicate it, and then does this new stuff sort of fix it? Yeah. So right. And if all your web component was was a say a design system, which is a in my opinion great use case, then who cares if it re renders? All it's doing is applying some styles. Yeah. Well, what's what's kind of weird too is. Let's say I'm using Axios in my view app, right? I'm love okay. I'm loving Axios. I'm just using it. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm using Axios for all this stuff. My web component probably doesn't use Axios, you know? Like so it's maybe not hooking into any of the caching or global sort of settings I have set up, you know, like, um, right. Like, I would think that's the way to do it is to leave the data fetching generally to the parent you know, to the framework componentry. And then if a web component needs data, just, yeah, chuck it down. Yeah, that's what I would think. I mean, it's just interesting. I don't know. Like, you have all these, it it isn't like a linear thing, you know? It's kind of like how there's, like, in Node, if if you've installed any amount of Node apps, you probably have four or five different fetch polyfills, (laughs) like, on your Node Mm. app at one time. You know, you have Mm-hmm, Blackbird, mm-hmm. Bluebird. Did you see that the Node other day? Fetch. Node shipped fetch. They're like, Node we did it. Fetch. Node has fetch now. But what I don't understand, and this is just pure ignorance, is like, wh- wh- why was that so hard? Can't you just like put fetch in there? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I we, I could probably ask like Bradley Mech or somebody, um, but. I don't know. Is it because you have to hand implement it and it's complicated? or do, But don't you just like kind of get it for free from V8 or whatever? Yeah, I think you would get it for mm. free. But I wonder if it's because Node has its own networking stack and this sort of touches the networking stack or something. So probably like that's a pretty yeah, just pure ignorance. there. I'm sure it was very complicated. No doubt in my mind that it was complicated, but I just don't understand why exactly. You know? Yeah. I mean, I've heard like getting, you know, import syntax working and stuff. That was a nightmare too. Like that, like getting. Oh yeah. I mean, that was a decade nightmare. And so <laughs> like you'd think it's just like, you know, it's just one line of code, <laughs> but apparently importing a file. Pop it in there. Is really tough. <laughs> so, and, and doing it spec compliant. That's the other thing too, probably is like getting it to where it meets, you know, green lights, all the tests and stuff. So I was just thinking just yesterday, a little mini conversation about node and how have you ever seen the like a prepare script like when you name because you could write script in your package.json you mm-hmm. could have a scripts and you could write dave and then if you oh, write yeah, yeah, yarn yeah. run dave or npm run dave it'll run but dave won't run automatically you have to run it you have to type that into the cli for it to run but if you name it prepare i think it just runs when the install script runs. Hmm. You know, yeah. what I mean? so you don't have to. You don't have to be troubled to run it because it's just automatically going to run. And I, and I was thinking about it in the context of the dangers of npm, and that if that then gets put into a packages package.json, it will also run when it runs. Meaning that. You know, it just exposes the insecurity of that. Like, you know, when you run npm install or yarn install, it's executing a bunch of code on your local machine. And there's some kind of feeling usually that like, ah, these dependencies, they're just, I don't know, they're just some files or whatever that I include elsewhere. But they're more than files. They're executable code. And they can execute even if you don't ask them to. Yeah. It, it like compiles binaries. Like, you know what I mean? Like, that's like a pretty serious deal that it's like running Xcode to compile binaries on my computer. 
I I was dealing with an issue. Um, well, OpenUI dealt with this issue. Like people were trying to get it, the environment up and running, but this library called Sharp, which I think is used by like every image processing, image yeah, it something. Is. Uh, Sharp was blowing up, and it didn't work on Node 16, and it didn't work on Node 12. And so then uh, Melanie Sumner over in the Discord was trying to use this thing called Spacebook.app, which is kind of like one of those like kind of um, uh, like doc site sites, but it's 11 based. It's not like VPress or it's not like Gatsby or something or, you know, one of the Gitbook or something. It's sort of like a Gitbook, but it's all 11 based. Uh, and I was like, you know, I'm building out this the doc site for my course, my my workshop in VPress. And VPress is great, but it's it's actually super great. But I I'm kind of at the point where it's like, why am I using Vue? You know, like I don't need to. You know, I just want to include a script tag at the page. Oh, like, interesting. So VPress doesn't it optionally uses? I've never heard of VPress. I know I know all the Vue like yeah, Nuxt or whatever. Evan used Mix on VPress, but it's or ViewPress, which is like all the doc sites on in View world are built on VPress. But um, but anyway, so I just was like, I need, I'm, I would love a like an 11D based doc site, you know. And so uh, yeah, I checked yeah. out Spacebook, and then I was having the problem, and that was pinned to V12. So I like PR'd it to upgrade it to V14, and it all works. It installs clean. But it just goes to show, like, it's kind of wild. Did your PR get accepted? It did, yeah. So the oh. guy was very nice. Um, uh, so, like, so it's up and running. Uh, but that, like, what a, I don't know, what a, what a weird sort of world where you have to install a binary on your computer to use a piece of software. Lots of stuff. That has nothing to do with images. It has nothing to do with mm. images. I'm trying to just write text on a page. And now it's all blowing up, you know, and, and mm-hmm. uh, that's, that's wild. So it's, yeah, it's a little wild. <laughs> a little wild. And, and I mean, like Luro, we have like puppeteer in there and I think we have playwright for like tests and stuff too. And so like, I mean, that's just blowing up too. I mean, it's like, I mean, I'm dealing with it today. It's like, I think it's because I'm passing a no sandbox flag and it's all exploding, you know? And I just, Mm. I compiled it wrong, Chris. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Not not the most fun part of development. Makes you want to, like, when you get something working, there needs to be some kind of, like, virtual, you know, like a, I don't know, one of those scientific glass bells that you, like, put down over, over a little wooden plate. Like, if you're going to smoke a Manhattan or something, you might put the glass in there, put the thing in, and the smoke gets trapped inside the glass bell. It looks all beautiful. I want one of those glass bells for websites where, like, okay, it's working. <laughs> no one touch it. It's Nothing on display touch, now. No so, touch anything. Uh, unless you are a... <laughs> certified museum curator. I had this idea for like a NFT that slowly degrades over time <laughs> and you have to pay more money to, uh, to restore oh, the great. NFT. Like you have yeah. to like actual art, you have to like invest, like keep uh, investing right. in it. And right. So like, and then I don't know, maybe there's a like tricksters could come and deface your art and you have to pay to get it restored. I, I just was like, oh, that's a very good idea. They're thinking too small, Chris. They're not thinking (laughs) of the recurring revenue on that NFT. You know what I mean? So, um. that's a good idea. Like that classic idea of like, you know, a script you put on your page and then based on the publication date or the last date that that page was touched, that like letters start to crumble yeah and fall away from it the page the background turns yellow a little bit yeah you know patinas yeah coffee yeah. stains literal <laughs> bit rot yeah <laughs> coffee stain that's great the last paragraph is just inexplicably missing you could probably do this very easily with a uh, background mix blend mode or whatever right mm, like yeah just, just keep it chill don't 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 put do splitting JS on your whole page or anything nuts. Just just make it fade a little bit. Even just opacity might help a little bit. Yeah, tinge it up. So. And if you if you can't read it, your job then is to click this button in the corner that like takes you to the the the, the page the on GitHub where it's hosted, and you have to review it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Recommit it, and then it goes back full opacity. <laughs> 
the it's like purely based on last updated or something. That's great. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Oh, fine. Today's episode is brought to you by Notion. That's Notion.so. As you probably already know, if you've listened to the show, I use the heck out of Notion. Uh, it is, I call it my second brain. I put everything uh, in Notion. I track projects, side projects I'm working on. I track actual projects like work projects. I track uh, goals for my year, my weekly habits. I track all kinds of things. I blog in Notion. I collect links for my blog in Notion I, or like anything I read and, and want to jot down some thoughts. I log books and, and keep track of little uh, tidbits and snippets. Uh, I collect quotes in Notion. I use the heck out of Notion. It's an excellent place to just dump all your your thoughts that you don't want just <laughs> spinning around in your brain and get it onto the digital paper. And Notion is great for that. A lot of flexibility and customizability with the database structure. It is just wonderful. And uh, I think you'll love it if you, if you love organizing uh, your thoughts and, and getting your, your, all those problems out onto a, a tool. Uh, this is good for you. So that's notion notion.so go try it today. What else do we got here? from the news desk another Aaron mission from brian cardell uh over at Galia. he was saying i think i said uh that uh the dom if you're moving off of jquery you're gonna miss it because it doesn't have closest he pointed out there is closest in native uh is there javascript see (laughs) you didn't know either uh no there is and it was specced and implemented about the same time as the other sort of stuff like query selector all and stuff Oh, there's still got to be some that jQuery had, right? Is it parents maybe that it doesn't yeah, have? It's like parents and siblings and, you know, rap and stuff like that. And Brian was yeah, like, yeah, like, rep- or like replace self or whatever. I don't think that was a real jQuery one, but there was one that, yeah, I don't know. I mean, that, like we just got replace all, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, like replace all finally just showed up. Uh, but, you know, I, I just, Brian made a, a just a good point. It, it just was like, this does exist. So I wanted to clarify that. Uh, th- there's a reason I don't use it though. And that's why I can't figure out and I don't really have time to investigate, but there's like a reason, like, did I use it once and it was weird? You know, I, I'm trying to like, oh, like so you're talking about closest specifically. Closest specifically. I really, I can't like, it, yeah, I don't know. Because I think you could also do like closest, I forget, but or like get all of them. Maybe it doesn't, I don't know. So maybe this only returns one match, not all matches or something. I I can't really remember. Oh, that could be it. Um, Yeah. Not that that is wrong. It's just a different API choice than you're used to. Yeah. But I, you know, to be honest, I haven't used jQuery in better part of a a decade. So I really don't remember, you know, what it, what it was like. So yeah, that's funny how formative it was though but yeah we've talked about jquery a million times it really is it's over though sorry i think i think you know. it's time to move on so um yeah um you know brian scooped us too this was a while back so this is very public news now but a gallia took over mozilla's vr browser mm-hmm. which i didn't really get at first because it's like okay there's a browser in vr got it like you put your your little headset on stands to reason you should be able to visit a website while you're in there Mm -hmm. why not Mm -hmm. i can't imagine what kind of immersive erotic experiences people might want (laughs) to partake in in there but anyway you you can go you whatever there's a browser in there but can you chris is suddenly on the vibration api uh (laughs) uh, train yeah good good chris but part of me is like isn't there some kind of like you know rosetta for for operating systems for VR things. Can't you just run whatever software in there? And I, I, I maybe not. I, I don't know enough about this. So again, speaking from ignorance, but it turns out actually there's a browser that's custom made for VR. And that makes sense. You know, as Brian was kind of explaining, it's like, what is it like to like go back for example, mm-hmm. the back button in a VR browser. Is it just a little button at the top of the bar on the left of the URL? Probably not, right? Like maybe, but that's not thought, 
you're not considering what VR is like to use to just use that same old model. Yeah. No, so I haven't even installed Bulvik yet, but I think that's the idea is like, what if we made a browser for VR? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so Agali is going to take it over, and I, I have no idea what is going to come of that and stuff, but they probably don't have a ton of competition yet. Yeah, I mean, I think Facebook has caramel like or meta we oh, call so them. there is but but that's there another thing i'm that's wrong about the, but i think that's the like oculus official one you know so mm. i think it stands to reason like there should be more than one browser choice per <laughs> per website uh per whatever yeah well um, wolvik would be interesting in that it's it's from mozilla so it'll be Whatever they call it's not Gecko anymore, right? What do they call their little Presto? Well, I or... think this one's. If I'm not no, mistaken, not that. maybe we need to have them on here. But, um, uh, but I think it's WebKit based. So it's oh, it is yeah. So it's actually a WebKit browser. Uh, if, why? Why would Mozilla build a WebKit browser? I think the XR team was kind of their own world. Mm-hmm. So I think that was like the easiest way to get going, maybe or something. I, I'm not sure, but. Um, uh, but I think it might be WebKit based. So, hmm. so there's more than one WebKit browser. Think about that. Hmm. Change your paradigm. Well, all, <laughs> that, it's not surprising to me in a, a way. I mean, there's all kinds of WebKit browsers. That one is the. It's, is it? Do you think it's more used than Chromium? Uh, I'd wager to say yes. You know, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong, but WebKit to me feels somehow cleaner somehow. And that, uh, you know, just because I was looking into this with Chromium the other day is that Chromium, the project, is not, like, decoupled from Chrome all that much. Like, it is. Chrome does put more stuff. But there's all kinds of stuff in Chromium that's very super Google-specific. Right, right. So it turns out that the companies that want to use Chromium, because I don't blame you, it's very good, it's open source, it seems like the future of browsers, like it or not, that your job then becomes ripping crap out of Chromium for you to use. Like a lot of stuff. Yeah, I've heard. You know, there's like 50 to 100 major APIs that got to be pulled because they are irrelevant to, if you're, say, brave, you know. And I think there's an open source project that maintains that, although, God, how thankless is that, you know? (laughs) Yeah, it's like, honey, why are you up late? Oh, I'm supporting a million dollar uh, VC backed companies <laughs> uh, with my right. fork of chromium that has no Google stuff in it, honey. So I, yeah, she's I'm like, oh, is that what late. your Patreon is that you make? Yeah, one hundred and sixty dollars a month from? Yes, honey. Yes, it is. yes, I make one hundred and sixty dollars a month <laughs> supporting uh-huh. these billion dollar companies. That's what I do. So for fun. <laughs> After I do a whole day of programming, I stay up late and work on this fork of Blink. So, mm, it's love, gnarly love to open source. Love it. Uh, here, I got a question for you. This is a little bit new to me. I even saw a uh, a notlaura.com blog post that she was getting into this too. I'm sure this is maybe this is old hat for most people listening, but it's just new to me cuz I'm so used to using Jest. You know Jest thing, you know, you write yeah, assertions, yes, yeah. you write Assert you load it. up a thing and you say run this function and then I expect it to be something, expect, right? And I've written a lot of these tests. Expect, life. expect to be, expect to be, expect not to be. Yeah. yeah. Whoa. Whoa. Well, yeah. Just Shakespeare stuff there. Uh, it, sometimes it's really nice and expressive to do that. Like we have loads of tests for our preprocessors on CodePen. Like given this input, does it produce this output? Which you'd think, why are we responsible for that? Shouldn't the, you know, shouldn't the processors themselves do that well no because we have stuff that we have to like strip for security and we have add-ons that we add that aren't necessarily part of the core library and we have all kinds of different stuff we have to test for so say there's dozens of tests at least for each preprocessor that run Mm-hmm. Usually what I do is take a string, maybe I'll even put it in a file on the file system and say, go get this file, then process it, now compare it to the results of this other file. Okay, fine. Or maybe I'll do, be more chill about it and just write a string of code as a template literal right in the jest test, like dollar sign red is red, mm-hmm. background 
you know, is dollar sign red? Did that produce the right CSS? Is SAS working as I expect it to? Great. And then I'll compare it to like, maybe not even the full output, maybe just a partial, a little piece of the output. Cause I'm really just testing one little specific thing. That's kind of the spirit of the test. Great, fine. But there's this whole concept of testing that I was like weirdly unaware of because I'm just, I have lots of blind spots. And this was one of them that there's this thing called a snapshot testing, meaning that rather than me handcrafting the output and putting it in a string or a file to test, that you can just say, boop, snapshot at the end. Mm-hmm. And then the first time you run it, it saves the output and assumes that that's correct. And then if it ever changes, it alerts you to that. It, to me, it just seems like, A, it's more it's more better because <laughs> you're not comparing some substring of the output. You're comparing all the entire output exactly as the machine made it. It saves you time because you didn't have to, like, craft the output that you expected to have. And, uh, yeah, it just seems, like, great in that way. I don't know. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm into it. Um, this this feels like your glass canister, your, your glass dome, right? You're like, I, we're going to snapshot this and it's not going to change. Like we, we want yeah. alarm bells to happen if this changes. Right. Right. Um, I guess, what do you want to happen? Like, so I, I changed something. I don't know. I snuck into the demo database and changed the H1 and now the snapshot's failing. I think it asks you. It's like a wizard at the end. Oh, You're like, this okay. test failed. You can say, oh, no, but actually that's cool now. Save a new snapshot of that. It's like, let's say you changed the shape of the user object or something. Mm-hmm. An email underscore address became email uppercase A address mm-hmm. or something. Who cares? But that changed the shape of some data. It probably wasn't even what you were testing, mm-hmm. actually. So that is a little annoying is that it probably trips flags more often because it's comparing so much output. So, but you don't have to write all your tests as a snapshot. You could write some of your tests as a snapshot. Yeah, I guess. So this is kind of good for like the bar stool falling down in another bar problem, sort of, would Hmm. you say like, yeah, well, at least you're alerted to the problem early. Yeah. Like if I change whatever my WYSIWYG editor component if I update that and then all of a sudden five components later, it just doesn't render, I'd want to know, you know, or something. Um, or if I change prop shapes, I mean, that's something I do regrettably. <laughs> like, I'm just like, refactor mm-hmm. props, bro. I'm going to switch this up, you know? So, um, and then yeah, it depends on if how you how do you, how you test those. Those don't seem as unit testy to me. Because snapshots like the output HTML really more than more than like the yeah. I I, I don't know what types of things you can and can't snapshot effectively. Mm-hmm. It does seem like the entire HTML output of a page seems like a possibly reasonable thing to test, although that's going to have a high churn. Right. You know, like everything's going to break that test, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's, it's more like you're testing individual functions, you know? So like, like my component, like whatever the output of the component, maybe. Yeah. A single component. Maybe I'm really thinking of like really boring business logic stuff, like a function that's like calculate (laughs) price of annual plan based on, you know, prorated based on date or something. Okay. It barfs out a JavaScript object with, the price and what it should be and all that, you know, it's more like kind of boring code in that way. It's not really UI facing code so much as okay, okay. data. So you want to just match it against like JSON then like the shape, those two shapes or I think so it, that, that either string output or mm-hmm. stringified output is the type of crap that makes the most tense to snapshot. But I'm new to this, you know, so, I don't know. I was mostly just thinking about it theoretically, just because of how many tests I've had to handcraft the output for. And I was like, whoa, if I could have just been like, nah, just save a snapshot, that would have been great. Yeah. And it's, what is it? AvaJS is the one. AvaJS. Yeah. Is the one that like, has this snapshotting. And I don't know, maybe just has it too. I don't even know. Um, possibly. Uh, the irony was we were like, oh, we're using Jest. And like, if you want to write a Jest test that just says like, import function from file it's like oh no just is not esm so you just can't i'm like what (laughs) just the biggest framework in the world you can't 
use the ESM? Wow. Okay. Well, let's use something else. Then. That one's a issue. <laughs> like I've had a like more than a dozen tests just blow up because they're like some dude twelve levels down is using import. I'm out. I quit. I give up. Yeah. Oh yeah. To- anywhere in the tree. Anywhere. <laughs> yep. So you're just like we can't resolve this or what, you know? And, um, Mm -hmm. there's a new, uh, talk about V projects. There's a, the test V test. Yeah, dude, it looks great. It looks, (laughs) I mean, I'm just like, how brave am I? Am I brave enough to just like, to to, to do this? Smash a couple beers and like, just (laughs) flip over to this, you know, like, like, (laughs) is that, is that the solution right now? It might be, it might be, although it, the whole project is in development. So it's a little risque, let's say. Please don't use it. But I'm just like, you get, you get like Vite, which is awesome. And like, you're not like, there's no kind of web packy step. Like, it's just like, runs yeah like, so it's gonna smoke fast yeah so fast. and typescript support that was another TypeScript reason that, that it, it came up in our this in my discussions because that's another thing that's hard to get just to play with mm-hmm. I, I, right for the but, imports uh, yeah, alone. and then component testing too yeah this seems like this is gonna win <laughs> in yeah. the long term yeah i'm just i mean like i'm sure you could fork just but but that's the issue with uh, not issue like we should not just isn't broken. Just it works great. It's worked on a lot of sites. It's gotten people a lot yeah, of value over sure. a lot of time. I want to like acknowledge that. It's the jQuery of testing. Because <laughs> I hate when people are like, oh, the new thing's out. thing you're learning is dumb. That's not it. Like just is great. It just has this one like pr- kind of growing major problem is everything moves over to imports that it doesn't support that. And but just is probably in the position they are supporting so many customers. They can't just delete half the code and switch over to that you know they can't just do that that easily because they have all this stuff built on the whole react right. setup um for sure and or sorry require setup which i think is part of the react situation as well so like react doesn't ship bundles if i recall like or modules i don't think i think it's all i think they still don't yeah so, yeah, and React I mean, is in the same situation. If you pull it from Skypack or something, they'll force it to work. And I mean, there's there's ways, man. There's way, dark pathways. Hey, bud. <laughs> hey, bud. Use this bootleg version of well, this, React. You, know, you could switch. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you could use. Um, yeah, they should make a bootleg React with modules. Uh, they, ha- you know, the, the the APIs look compatible too. Oh God, it has snapshots too. And the just style. So me saying that just doesn't have snapshotting. I mean, I don't think I quite said that, but just for the record, that's very not true. They totally do have that. It does. It looks. It looks good. It looks like you have to like. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, it'll it'll snapshot. Man, now I'm interested. Mm, now man, I'm interested. This looks good. So, uh, I, one thing I don't use very effectively is mocks too. Like you know, like you can. I, I didn't think I realized like you just have that folder called underscore 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 mocks or whatever. And then it just like mm. auto says Is that like fake data. It, yeah. It's like fake data, like a user or something. And it's just like, mm. like, it'll just like give you a user variable automatically. And so like, I just, I didn't think I like realized it did all that automatically. I saw it everywhere, but I didn't realize, Oh, that's all happening kind of auto magically or, you can say like just mock some module or whatever, but anyway, I just I thought it, I I was surprised. So indeed. This is Chris, your Shop Talk Show editor. Just uh, let's take a little quick pause here between the amazing things that Dave and Chris are saying to remind you to check out the Shop Talk Show Patreon, Patreon.com/slash Shop Talk Show. One of the coolest things I've noticed in being part of the Discord, which you get to be a part of once you're a Patreon member, is the help desk channel where people ask questions about stuff that, and they get a direct line to not only sometimes Chris and Dave, but also a whole community of people who have experience, have answers, who are wise, who are wisdomous in the web dev world. So even I, a lowly audio editor in the world of web dev, have asked questions about things that I have no idea what I'm doing and have gotten really helpful answers and pointed in the right direction and not just laughed at for using front page 98 for all my web development in 2022. So check out the Patreon, patreon.com slash shop talk show. Now back to the show.
One here from the Discord here from Josh Collingsworth, friend of the show, pal in the Discord, all that. Has a great blog. Triple threat. He can great designer, great, great writer, great developer, great developer. There you go. Um, we even did a video based on Josh's header. Remember those little random boopies, the little grid, the little random grid ones. Yeah, speckles. Yeah, that's Josh's site. I'd throw him over in your feed bin or your RSS reader of choice. I've been, I've been in there cleaning stuff out, adding new feeds. Good, feeling good about my RSS. Yeah. Uh, Josh writes in with a question kind of for me about CodePen. I play a lot with progressive web apps lately and wondered if you'd ever consider making CodePen a PWA. I know PWAs are usually all about the mobile install story and that CodePen is much more desktop focused. I still think it would be pretty cool. I'd love to have a CodePen icon in my dock for spinning up new pens quickly and be able to command tab right to my CodePen editor and stabbing it just be another browser tab, one of many. I assume there are probably some perf and bandwidth gains there from a service worker too. It seems like a win, even if not a lot of people care about installing it, but wondering what the thought process goes into that. For, for that matter, how hard it is to do with a Rails app. Uh, there's a lot, <laughs> there's a lot to think about there. I don't think there's any, you know, like, would it be better if we totally went all in on that route? almost certainly yes you know but what is the what's the road to that is paved with you know spiky ass rocks <laughs> and so you got to just be real sure that's what you're going to do i think if we we're going to do this it would be like probably like a year of effort ish and you at that level of how many people are involved in architectural choices and all that that you'd You'd have to be real sure that that's the that at the end of that there's a rainbow, you know, that it was the right kind of business call to make, and that that's going to take you into the future, not just just be this little thing you did or something. Yeah, you know. So uh, yeah, I mean, t- to me, it's not so much the mobile story that's interesting. It would be kind of the offline story. That if I was going to do that, I'd be like, oh, what we're doing here is making an offline version of the app. Right. And you can't just choose to do that. Like everything would have to work or you'd have to be really clear about what is and isn't going to work and stuff. And the more that does work, the better. So like, why do it at all if it's not pretty full featured? Mm-hmm. So I'd want to make sure that it like b- does what CodePen can do, but offline. And then what do you do about data? Because offline data is tricked. CodePen is all about slinging data. This is not a, can I read this blog post offline or whatever, or save some state of something so I can view it. That's no fun. You'd want the thing to be fully functional. So how do you do things like create a file and be safe that when I go back online, it's going to sync that file up and not cause any problems or anything. And then there's a collaborative and team-based nature of code pen. It's like, what if two people do that? Yeah. You know, yeah. they both have right access to it. And, that's it's just oh, that's what I mean by a year of effort. This isn't just like oh, you just put a manifest file at the root and you know put a service worker there that says which files to hold offline and stuff. That's not true either. It's all that processing we do, we have made this architectural choice to generally do it as lambdas, you know, Dockerized protected lambdas that do all the processing and they're fast and they're safe and they're scalable and inexpensive. And there's all these great reasons and we don't really regret it that none of that will work offline. So then it's like, okay, but it could unless because what about WASM and what about, you know, like, so then you start this architectural journey of making those run as web workers or, 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 you know, figuring out how those things you could, you could ship those down to the user, but then, you know. Do you ship all of them down? Do you ship some of them down? Do you have a little dashboard that says which ones are ready to use offline and which ones aren't? You know, it's just a, I feel like that already was a heart pounding amount of thought of work and that that's the tip of the iceberg. There's going to be way more to think about. So it's just not, it's just no joke. It's just a huge thing. I feel like y'all could ship and manifest. That's probably an hour. Uh, you could ship and register and ship a service worker that like does nothing like that only says like if offline chuck them to a, Oh no, you went offline page, like a a Chrome dyno kind of thing. Or maybe it, 
uh, maybe you cash like a cool pen or you like, you have a contest to be like the something Chrome yeah. or the code pen offline game or whatever. Right. And then you cash that like only, only the offline page and, and the, uh, or you could actually just have a page called offline that embeds something. Anyway, blah, 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 blah. um, sure. Some experience that's not crazy to build. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, so you have the offline page and the service worker and some icons and the meta theme color, and you're done, right? Um, and that works. That way it's installable it's is installable the point. at or? least, and people could get it on their local, right? Um, I think you could do that, but I don't, you know, you don't have to have the glorious offline story. But I think we're in y'all's situation if you went offline, you'd probably want to like undo all the pieces. Does that make sense? That like, and that's where maybe just going to an offline page is the best choice, unfortunately. But you know, because if somebody's like on and off, like if they like spotty Wi-Fi, are they like, is it super ruined or something? I, that would be a question I have. But I think I'm thinking about like favorite hearts and stuff like that. Like you'd almost want like that to like turn off if somebody's offline or something. Yeah. Rather than save that. I, I, can, I think you could have the shell just show up. And that's like what I'm thinking about doing with, um, uh, Luro as well. Just like have the shell kind of exist. Um, mm. but then there's, uh, you know, it, it's not that easy. It's a, that's what I want to say. No. Like, I mean, maybe there's, yeah, that could be, I could see in a Luro situation where it, it saves the last state, of a, a big pile of data and then it's read only, but at least you got it. Mm-hmm. That'd be kind of, that'd be kind of cool actually. Cause it seems like that would be, I don't know. It would be still useful in a way like Delta wouldn't do that on their app. Cause you don't want to be showing people that your flight is at a, the wrong gate or something. Yeah. Like, and I'm, I'm like less concerned about the offline thing. I mean, you can just be like, like, Oh, you're offline. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. Like, yeah. or, or do the red read only thing. Like, um, you know, I, I think there's just lots of stuff that like doesn't need to work, you know, but, but I think there's certain people who want, like, it's easier to say, go to luroapp.com and then log in, you know, like there's some people who just want to click an icon and have it show up, you know? So I think there's like, mm-hmm. I, I think about the Figma app, you know, do you, do you use Figma, the application or Figma, the website? Uh, I go, honestly, I go back and forth a little bit, but I generally, I use the, the app, the native local I, app. So you, I just opened Figma, the, the app, and it says log in with browser. <laughs> and so, and, and that's all it says, you know, like, so uh, guess what? Like, it's just a web app and the Fig, Figma, the app is just a web app. Oh, it is. But there's a little bit of bonus to it in that, like your local fonts work. And right. Stuff. Notion just a web app uh like like Mm -hmm. all this discord just a web app like it's all the same thing um and so i don't know i i like i just for sometimes i'm maybe i'm like oh i'm in a browser i'll just open no figma in the browser i do sometimes regret that because it's like (laughs) i have like Figma is one of my 700 tabs and I kind of need it, you know, at times, but you know, that's that maybe that's like it is maybe you can just kind of, uh, I don't know, but there'd be cool. I don't know. You'd kind of want to do things with code pen. Like you'd want to like have like an actual tabs, maybe like tab one is like code pen one and tab two is code pen two or something, or like, I don't know, mm-hmm. like there'd be kind of cool things you'd want to do natively in code pen. i I think so. And maybe that's like, now you're in an electron territory. So yeah, maybe I think there's interesting answers to some of this stuff that, you know, I, I, I'm absolutely not promise. I have no idea what one and if we're going to do any of this, this is all theoretical. It's just fun to think about. There's certain pieces of technology that support that. For, for one thing, I think it would be interesting to ha- having, there's lots of paths forward to having processing offline. I mean, m- most developers do all of their processing on their local computer. So why does CodePen have to be that different? You know, there's right, paths right, forward right. that like bring that a little more in home. But one thing I think is really interesting is this concept of UUIDs. <laughs> you know, I've, I've, ever since I started going to Bend JavaScript, that's how I met this fellow Robert, who now works with us at CodePen. He's one of the famously one of the maintainers of the UUID library on NPM, which has you know t- twenty billion zillion downloads, kind of thing. You know, and now browsers are starting to ship it in browsers. But the point of them is that if you create one 
at any time. You just ask for one. It's the only time that number's ever been created ever mm -hmm. and or ever will be. It's the absolutely unique number. And I think there's some caveats to it, but but not it's really. Like in the like trillions probably or like yeah. yeah, you know, grains of sand on the planet or mm -hmm. whatever. Like probably no two have ever been created that are the same. So that if you do that offline, let's say you make a file that you can you you can do that and say this file has this UUID, and then when you sync it up online, it's going to be safe. There will be no other file, even if a hundred thousand other people also did that same action on your team or something. They'll have different identifiers. They're not going to overwrite each other because you know that they're unique, even if you did that action offline. You don't have to ask a database, is this unique? Give me a new unique database identifier. It is unique, even if it doesn't have database connectivity. Just kind of cool, you know? There might be other things that overlap, but like there's, I like it when there's like computer science concepts that like help do what end up being modern features of apps. No, that'd be, it'd be interesting what you could do. I don't know. I mean, but like you're saying, that's like, I don't know. I, I've recently hit this situation where it's like, we want this feature in Luro and I, and I'm like, kind of like doing mental math. I'm like, okay, that's like six months of work, you know? And so like it, those are really hard to bite into, you know, I think we're totally going to do it, but, but it's such a, like, you know, it's hard to be like, this is just going to take a friggin' long time. So, um, and, uh, something like support code pen locally would just be a huge task, you know, like that's, that would be a massive engineering undertaking. So it's probably, it might be worth it, but it, it's just very big. So in a related way of that, I think literally everything you do is this chunk of your day. It's this chunk of your time. It's this chunk of stuff that you have to support forever. It impacts the work that other people are doing and stuff. It's not just this little feature. It's, they have t it has tendrils. Mm -hmm. It has a lifespan. It's like choices like this are a big freaking deal. You can make little tiny choices that influence the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. It's wild. <laughs> you know, they're not to be taken lightly, not to scare anybody away from just doing stuff. But that happens, I think, at a certain like scale, size and age of, of app, you know, and you're probably already there with Lero. But I mean, you know, it doesn't affect little side projects that you're just screwing around with. But I feel this deeply. You know, we made one little change on on CodePen like a month ago that had something to do with URLs. And it's just one of those things where like, oh, I'll be, I'll be I'll clean up our future APIs. What a great idea. And it was a great idea. And it's done and it's out. And we've been kind of feeling the repercussions of what that change is for a month or more. And that was like a little URL change, mm -hmm. not like an architectural shift. Yeah. I mean, I just bailed out of like a whole serverless function thing. And you'd think, oh, I'll just copy paste the functions over into the server app. Bada bing, bada boom, it works. N not, not the case. Not that easy. I mean, it was, it was like, I'm still, like you're saying, feeling the repercussions of this like change that, you know, we made or, or it's, or it's, or it's that thing where you like talk yourself into features like, oh, we let's support, uh, I don't know, let's support Azure logins, you know, that seems like a good idea. Yeah. Everyone's hyped on Azure. We have a client that uses Azure. Like we're all in the Azure with Azure, Azure. Yeah, sure. Azure Guess what? You're doing that for the rest of your life. When you touch the login form and you potentially break Azure, whoa, you busted bro. You know, like I, I just, there's all the, there's a, at least a million of those. So where, where you've now like, You've all hyped yourself into a really good idea or a good idea at the time, but now it's just this massive right. debt But machine. maybe, just maybe, in a perfect world, you could architect things either from the beginning or during a first major refactor that says, okay, we know that this is going to change. We're, we've decided that Azure's cool now, but what is Azure in this case? You're t speaking of it just as a o OAuth provider. So what can I change here to make sure that if we were to add or remove OAuth providers, it's no big deal. Right. It's a 
it's a one hour job or less. How can I set that up so that that's true forever? There's, I feel like there's almost always, there's always a 15 minute fix that you can get done now. Like, and then there's a one month fix that like is probably way better, you know, and you have to choose, you know, like I can either do the mm-hmm. 15 minute fix right now, just support it and be done or like architect it over a course of a month, uh, scope it out, budget, build. I like those time frames that you chose there because they're true and that it makes it see it makes it because what you don't want to say is that the, the, the big, the, you know, the right fix is always, always the right answer. Like it probably generally is the right answer, but a month really? Yes. Yes. A month. So you only get so many of those. So that's the right framing to be is that you can't pick, you can't do all your things that way. Cause now you're out of months. Yeah. Well, and, and like, guess what? Like Jim, Jim job hops every six months. So Jim only has six of these in his tank. He can only do six tasks yeah. <laughs> while it's, he's employed. Mm-hmm. So, uh, like hopefully it's good. I don't, hopefully it's worth it. So, and doesn't create other problems. And there's, there's a month, but then there's a, the month of repercussions after that or, or, Two months, you know? Yeah, right. So he's really only, he's got, only three. got two or three <laughs> tasks he can possibly do in his tenure. So mm, that sounds uh, about right. Anyway, we should wrap up. We got a hard stop edition of the Shop Talk show, but this is good chatting, Chris. And thanks, Josh, for sending the question. If you have a question, send it on in. Uh, we have a form on the website. Uh, but thank you, dear listener, for downloading this in your podcatcher of choice. Be sure to start heart favorite up. That's how people find out about the show. Follow us on Twitter at Shop Talk Show for 16 <laughs> tweets a month. Uh, and we have a new YouTube. Uh, uh, it, we're Shop Talk Show on YouTube. You can find it. Uh, I should probably put a link. There's links on the site. The link's on the site. So go to click that link. Uh, right now we have an ugly channel URL, but we'll we'll get that all fixed up uh, when, after 30 days or something. And then uh, the next thing is join us on in the Discord, patreon.com slash Shop Talk Show, Discord fun. Chris, you got anything else you'd like to say? Oh, ShopTalkShow.com. <laughs>